Hello, welcome to MePack, a podcast about U.S. policy. I am your host, Mimi. This is episode 15, Pete Buttigieg on the subject of healthcare, and part 6 in the Pete series. In the last episode, I went over the beginning of Pete's plan to improve mental health care and addiction treatment. In this episode, I will be covering his full white paper on the same topic. I do want to note, as with the last white paper from Pete, this is going to be a bit of repeat information with expanded content. It is 18 pages long, but each page has almost uh, the whole bottom half covered in citations, so it's more like nine pages. Uh, But without further ado, here is Pete's full plan on mental health and addiction. Healing and Belonging in America, a plan to improve mental health care and combat addiction. We are in the midst of a devastating opioid overdose and addiction epidemic that is harming communities across the country. In the past two decades alone, almost 450,000 people have died due to opioid overdose. By the end of this year, almost nine times as many will have died as the total number of U.S. military deaths during the Vietnam War. This crisis leaves a harrowing impact far beyond rising death rates. For every person that dies from opioid overdose, countless others are living with opioid use disorder, and family members, friends, and neighbors are deeply affected. Families are being gut-wrenchingly torn apart. Since the year 2000, the number of children placed in foster care due to their parents' opioid use has doubled to nearly 100,000. The annual economic cost of the opioid epidemic is almost $80 billion a year. Yet for all the attention the opioid epidemic has rightly received, Pete understands that it is only one part of a much larger mental health and substance use disorder crisis. Last year, for every five people who died from opioid overdose, three died from overdose due to other drugs, such as methamphetamine or cocaine. Five died by suicide, and nine died an alcohol-related death. Combined, these deaths have contributed to the longest sustained decline in American life expectancy since World War I. Collectively, these deaths due to drugs, alcohol, and suicide are characterized as deaths of despair, which are often preceded by people and communities being left behind. It is parents being laid off from the job they've had for decades and a society's inability to provide them with the opportunity to take care of their family, so they turn to alcohol to numb the pain. It is teenagers coping with childhood trauma or who live in constant fear of hearing gunshots at school and need a way to manage their anxiety and stress. It is older people whose aging friends don't stop by as often, if at all, and a society's inability to take appropriate care of its elders, even as they become lonelier and more isolated. This crisis of despair is often portrayed as one unique to middle-aged white America. While mental illness and addiction rates have risen significantly for this demographic, this often ignores the reality that mental illness and addiction have historically been and continue to be high or are also rising among people of color and other marginalized people in age groups. Native Americans experience post-traumatic stress disorder twice as frequently as the general population. LGBTQ youth are often five times more likely than their straight peers to attempt suicide. Among Latinx people, mental health and overall health has deteriorated significantly under the current administration. Young Americans report being lonelier than any other age group. 
Overdose deaths are spiking among Black people, on whose backs the current broken system that criminalizes mental illness and addiction was built during the crack epidemic of the 1980s. And 20 veterans and active service members die by suicide each day, the most shameful indicator of just how badly our nation has failed those who have given so much to our country. This crisis of pain and despair is not one unique to whiteness. It is one that is distinctly American. This crisis is the result of years of neglect by our political leadership. Our healthcare system is so broken and our approach to mental health and addiction so fragmented and frequently punitive that less than one in every five people with a substance use disorder and two of every five people with a mental illness receive treatment. To meet this urgent national challenge, we need a new approach to providing mental health care. One truly prepared to tackle this as the crisis it is, and one that understands the key driver of change will be based in strengthening our communities. Pete understands that we must begin to take mental health more seriously as a nation. For hundreds of thousands of us, it is a matter of life and death. For all of us, it is a matter of our happiness and well-being, because we live with these illnesses, or may in the future, or because we know someone who does. Pete's vision for the future of mental health and addiction care is rooted in embracing prevention and ensuring that every person with a mental illness or substance use disorder has the resources and support they need to begin to heal. We will ensure that at least 75% of people who need mental health or addiction services receive that care that they need, an increase of more than 10 million in Pete's first term, and prevent 1 million deaths of despair by 2028. And to help those who heal remain well and to build America's resilience to these illnesses, we must ensure that everyone feels that they belong in their community and in our country. Heal. Tackling this crisis starts by ensuring that everyone has access to affordable and comprehensive health coverage and that mental health and addiction care services are integrated into settings such as primary care. It means using technology to make it much easier for someone to find a therapist to talk to in person or virtually. It means making it easier to get a prescription for medication to treat addiction such as buprenorphine to treat opioid use disorder so unnecessary regulations don't prevent physicians from prescribing life-saving medication that could help thousands of people every day. To ensure that people with a mental illness or substance use disorder can heal, we will decriminalize these conditions. When someone is undergoing a crisis or is caught using a drug, they should be treated by a health professional rather than be punished in a jail cell. Enforce mental health and addiction parity so that treatment for mental illness and addiction is as accessible as treatment for other chronic conditions, such as diabetes. Mental health parity means that coverage and treatment for mental health and addiction are provided on equal terms as treatment for other physical conditions. If a health plan offers unlimited doctor visits for medical or surgical services, it must do the same for mental health and addiction services. Parity ensures that insurance plans cannot discriminate against people with mental health conditions or a substance use disorder by charging high copays or imposing annual upper limits. Although the government requires many plans to maintain mental health parity, true parity remains out of reach for many. This makes it difficult to find affordable mental health treatment in a timely manner. An office visit with a mental health clinician, for example, is five times more likely to be out of network and therefore more expensive than an office visit with a primary care clinician. A hospital visit for a mental health condition, such as an anxiety disorder, is four times more likely to be out of network than one for a physical condition, like heart disease. 
Further, mental health clinicians and addiction specialists tend to get paid up to 20% less than other healthcare clinicians. To address this, we will enforce parity for mental health and addiction treatment coverage across all payers by penalizing insurance plans that do not comply with parity. We will enforce parity in several ways, including requiring health plans to annually report how they manage and meet parity. Health plans who violate this policy will face fines and statutory penalties, and those plans most often out of compliance will be publicly identified. Establish mental health parity in Medicare and Medicaid. Medicare remains the only major health plan to not cover mental health and addiction equally. We will also remove the 190-day lifetime limit on inpatient psychiatric admissions. While Medicaid requires managed care services to have parity, fee-for-service procedures currently do not. We will encourage states to require Medicaid parity. Improve access to affordable and high-quality mental health and addiction treatment. For millions of patients, finding the appropriate care is incredibly challenging under our current system. High rates of denials of care by insurers, long wait times, complicated referral processes, and high out-of-pocket costs all serve as barriers to care. As a result, four out of every five people with a substance use disorder and three out of every five people with a mental illness never receive treatment. To address this, we will... Require insurance plans to provide a free annual mental health checkup to anyone who wants one. Beneficiaries that exhibit symptoms of mental illness or addiction will be directed to proper follow-up. Increase reimbursement rates for mental health and addiction care, including care delivered through telehealth. Mental health and addiction care clinicians are paid a fraction of what other physicians are paid, prohibiting many from entering the field. Building on encouraging results from Virginia's Medicaid reimbursement increase, we will raise reimbursement rates for mental health and addiction care clinicians. We will also provide reimbursement for teletherapy and telepsychiatry for more types of care settings and allow professionals to get compensated for virtually treating patients who are at home. This will especially benefit people in rural areas and areas with clinician shortages. Increase access to treatment for people with serious mental illnesses and addiction by repealing the Medicaid rule that prohibits large psychiatric facilities from receiving reimbursement. Large inpatient psychiatric facilities are currently prohibited from receiving payment for treating adults on Medicaid, which can limit access to care, especially for people with serious mental illness and addiction requiring residential treatment. We will fully repeal this prohibition while ensuring it does not replace financing or care that should take place in a community. Invest and promote early interventions for mental health and serious mental illness. For individuals experiencing a first episode psychosis, early intervention and treatment is key for decreasing psychotic and negative symptoms. In addition, research on early interventions for children and adolescents shows how many mental, emotional, and behavioral problems in young people are preventable with early identification and treatment. Dramatically expand the mental health and addiction workforce to make culturally and clinically competent mental health and addiction services available to everyone. 115 million Americans in over 5,100 communities across the country live in areas with a shortage of mental health and addiction professionals. Only four states and territories meet more than 40% of the demand. Beyond severe shortages, 
which will only worsen as demand for mental health and addiction services increase, professionals themselves are unevenly distributed across the country. To address these shortages, we will create training and education programs to prepare frontline clinicians, such as primary care clinicians, to better address and manage mental health and addiction. We will increase the number of training programs that train culturally competent medical clinicians to care for patients with opioid use disorder or other substance use disorders. This will include improving programs that provide mentorship for those who are new to treating substance use disorders. We will also prepare mental health and addiction professionals to work in settings beyond mental health and addiction treatment facilities and incentivize them to work in high need and low resource settings such as primary care, correctional facilities, schools, universities, and faith-based organizations. Expand low repayment programs to encourage mental health and addiction professionals to choose to work in rural or underserved areas. In order to attract more clinicians to work in the settings they are needed, we will expand the public service loan forgiveness program beyond government and not-for-profit based employment to include employment in rural private hospitals and practice groups. We will also restructure the program so participants will get a portion of their loan debt forgiven annually instead of at the end of the 10-year period. Invest in the community workforce, including the use of peer support specialists. We will invest in peer mental and addiction health specialists, which allows frontline clinical tasks to be shifted to or shared with peers and people with lived experience in the community and expands the current workforce in a timely and cost-effective way. This includes increasing training and distribution of naloxone for opioid overdose, among community members, as well as expanding peer recovery support at harm reduction centers, such as syringe service programs and community crisis centers. Encourage medical schools to require medical students to complete free coursework on how to treat substance use disorders. In addition, we will create accreditation standards for graduate schools and training programs that reinforce the concept of a mental and physical health integration. We will also work with medical schools, nursing schools, social work programs, and psychology programs to address addiction in their training and curriculum, just as they do mental health. We must train our future medical workforce to recognize the importance of mental health and addiction, as well as how to work in a team-based environment to take care of patients. Increase the number of residency programs and fellowships for mental health and addiction clinicians. By increasing the number of slots available for these types of training programs, we can further increase the number of clinicians who are prepared to address mental health and addiction. These programs and fellowships will be evidence-based and focus on enhancing a team-based approach to care. Expand community members' basic knowledge and training to address mental health and addiction. This includes expanding mental health first aid programs that teach people how to talk about mental health issues and what to do when they encounter a mental health crisis. Create a three-digit suicide hotline. According to the FCC, a three-digit hotline would be more effective than the long number for the current National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. This hotline would make it easier for those in crisis to receive life-saving help. Universalize access to life-saving medication to treat opioid use disorder and increase investment in pharmaceutical research to treat other substance use disorders. Medication-assisted treatment, MAT, is the gold standard for treating opioid use disorders. MAT saves lives, keeps people in recovery, and helps patients regain their health and get their lives back on track. 
Despite its effectiveness, only about 10% of people with opioid addiction receive MAT. This is largely due to unnecessary regulatory burdens that make it easier for clinicians to prescribe potentially addictive medication than medication to treat addiction. To expand access to life-saving MAT and better address addiction, we will deregulate buprenorphine to make it easier for more Americans to get access to addiction care. Currently, prescribers can only provide buprenorphine to a limited number of patients, preventing scores of patients from getting timely access to the medication they need. In fact, few physicians have even the license needed to prescribe it, making it more widely available alongside providing proper training and education for clinicians will help increase access to critical addiction care. Increase the number of clinicians able to prescribe MAT. We will amend the Controlled Substance Act to allow prescribers with controlled substances license to prescribe buprenorphine without requiring any additional training. We will also expand the types of clinicians able to prescribe MAT. Standardize addiction treatment by defining the elements of care provided throughout the continuum of care using national guidelines. Individuals with addiction, their families, clinicians, health plans, and other stakeholders should be able to know what kind of care is available at any given treatment program. Resources such as federal dollars should only be used to provide evidence-based care for addiction, just as it is for other medical conditions. Require all insurers to cover all three types of MAT to treat opioid addiction. We will require insurers, including Medicare and state Medicaid agencies, to cover all three types of MAT so every patient can have access to the type of treatment that works best for them. End policies that require patients to wait days or weeks to receive access to MAT by getting rid of prior authorization. Some health plans must approve MAT as medically necessary for a patient in order for it to be covered. Yet it is counterproductive to make patients wait to get access to safe treatment that could save their lives. We will prohibit insurers from using prior authorization and use utilization management tactics for MAT. Incentivize states to increase Medicaid reimbursement rates that clinicians receive for providing MAT. Some states, such as Virginia and Maryland, have successfully expanded access to MAT by increasing reimbursement rates. We will encourage states to do the same through innovation waivers. Increase mobile clinics and access to longer-lasting forms of MAT for patients in hard-to-reach rural or medically underserved areas. Through grant programs, we will support more mobile clinics that can travel to patients in underserved areas. And since some forms of MAT require daily doses that can only be administered by clinicians, we will make it easier for clinicians to access longer-lasting forms of MAT to help patients in rural and medically underserved areas. To increase access to MAT, we will make it easier for clinicians to use longer-lasting forms of MAT. Prioritize research to develop medication to treat other types of drug dependence disorders. Today, many drug use disorders, such as methamphetamine use disorder, cannot be treated with medication. As rates of these types of disorders rise, we must invest in identifying medication and other novel treatments. Promote whole person care by integrating the mental health and addiction health care system with the physical health care system. Mental health and addiction care is primarily delivered in a siloed and fragmented system, separate from mainstream health care, which makes it much harder to access care. Bringing mental health and addiction services to places like primary care will help everyone and support a more team-based approach to health, which can improve outcomes and lower cost. 
To promote whole person care and better integrate services, we will incentivize the integration, co-location, and deployment of mental health and addiction clinicians in primary care settings. We propose creating incentives for frontline delivery sites like primary care to integrate mental health clinicians with team-based care delivery models, as well as encouraging them to adopt electronic health records to make patient information sharing across clinicians and teams as seamless as possible. We will also use alternative payment models and value-based contracting to incentivize the implementation of mental health and primary care integration models. Pursue innovative payment models that reinforce a more integrated approach to mental health and addiction. Historically, the way mental health and medical service have been paid for has been separate, driving fragmentation at the clinical and delivery levels. This has made it difficult for many integrated practices as well as non-mental health clinicians to receive payment for addressing mental health and addiction issues in a team-based practice environment. In addition, integrated practice teams have a hard time financially sustaining their work due to lack of adequate compensation or viable payment models. We propose an ongoing move away from fee-for-service with a specific focus on alternative payment models that will better allow for mental health to be integrated into medical settings. Encourage states to end Medicaid carve-outs. Carving out mental health is a way a health insurer can contract for mental health and addiction services with a separate entity. While overall this practice is in decline, carving out the mental health benefit often makes it more difficult clinically and financially for communities to integrate mental health and addiction services. Ending Medicaid carve-outs and requiring integration of services through Medicaid-managed care contracts will better facilitate clinical and financial integration of mental health. However, whether carved in or carved out, health insurers and practices must be held accountable for addressing mental health in addition with any new modeling and contracting for mental health and addiction services. Expand take-home naloxone programs to all 50 states by 2024 and advance the implementation of harm reduction services to reduce overdose deaths and the spread of infectious diseases related to needle sharing. Harm reduction programs are a critical part of any effective response to the opioid and injection drug use crisis, They minimize the negative impact of drug use without encouraging it while reducing other side effects of drug use. In particular, this means access to syringe service programs for people who inject drugs that link them to treatment and provide access to sterile syringes. These programs help prevent transmission of HIV, viral hepatitis, and other infectious diseases associated with needle sharing and reduce overdoses by deploying medications such as naloxone that help reverse the effects of opioids. To expand harm reduction services, we will make naloxone a drug that can be administered by any individual broadly available in order to reverse overdoses. This includes expanding federal support for the purchase of naloxone by state and local health departments, assuring it is widely available in public spaces and workplaces in a similar way, and in conjunction with first aid kits and automated external defibrillators, and encouraging co-prescribing of naloxone with opioids, either by individual physicians or direct dispensing by pharmacists. Remove legislative and regulatory restrictions on the use of federal funds for syringe service programs, SSPs. 
Under current law, local authorities have to jump through too many hoops to use federal dollars for operation of SSPs and may not use these funds for the purchase of syringes. These restrictions hamper state and local responses, both because they limit resources and because they convey a negative message about the value of these programs, despite overwhelming scientific evidence that they can prevent transmission of HIV and hepatitis. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, would also work with states to remove any criminal liability for those participating in SSPs. Increase veteran engagement with the Department of Veterans Affairs, VA, and enhance access to mental health and addiction treatment for veterans. Our veterans have made significant sacrifices for our country. We cannot let them down. We must develop communities that can welcome them home with jobs and opportunity, as well as a robust and effective VA system that can take care of their mental health needs. Increase investments in veteran suicide programs. Suicide prevention is grounded in community and support for the conditions that improve quality of life and well-being. Along with investing in enhancing the VA's national strategy for preventing veteran suicide and supporting policies like limiting access to lethal means, from guns to medications, P also believes in the importance of focusing on public health and prevention to address suicide. We believe that we should provide community supports to veterans to improve connection and belonging, while simultaneously increasing access to services when needed. Expand the number of mental health and addiction clinicians treating veterans. We will ensure the VA is equipped to address veteran mental health and addiction by increasing pay and cutting out red tape for hiring new clinicians. We will also train non-VA mental health clinicians on their unique needs of veterans. Increase access to telehealth, including teletherapy and telepsychiatry for veterans through the Connected Care Pilot Program. The Connected Care program helps clinicians deploy telehealth and mobile health to improve access to care for veterans. Belong. Belonging begins by changing the way we think and talk about mental health and addiction to drive home the fact that these illnesses are not moral failings and that asking for help is not a sign of weakness, but of strength and empowerment. It means training every student across the country to identify and know how to respond to signs of mental illness or addiction and equipping communities with resources so they can leverage their own ingenuity and experience to help people recover and become resilient to stressors. It also means helping people become part of something greater by strengthening communal bonds through, for example, national service. And it means creating livable communities that foster well-being with decent wages, good jobs, affordable housing, and a safe and healthy place to live and raise a family. Empower communities to leverage their own innovation to improve mental health and prevent addiction through a 10-year $100 billion grant program. Local communities are at the front lines of this crisis, and so much of the success of addressing mental health and addiction will come down to how local communities support each other, provide care, and partner around complex issues that extend beyond health care. At the same time, no community's problems look the same, just as no two community solutions will look exactly the same. That's why we propose strategies that will allow communities to lead and prioritize solutions that can make a meaningful difference on overall health and well-being. Through $10 billion annual healing and belonging grants, we will encourage communities most affected by this epidemic to leverage their ingenuity and on-the-ground expertise to help improve health and well-being. These grants will allow for local communities to leverage federal funds to invest in interventions and structures that could most positively impact mental health and addiction. We will hold communities accountable for ensuring that there is an adequate infrastructure, 
measurable and realistic metrics, and if necessary, a sustainability plan to continue the work beyond the life of the grant. As stipulated in the grants themselves, communities might choose to invest in a range of innovations, from social programs that drive impact around the social determinants of health to clinical programs that create novel ways for people to gain access to care both within clinical settings as well as community settings. Launch a National Service Plan to Strengthen Communities Throughout the Country Pete's National Service Plan will help young people meaningfully connect with their community by focusing on addressing some of the key challenges of our time, including building resilience and sustainability against climate disruption through the Climate Corps, improving health and combating addiction through the Community Health Corps, and helping provide companionship to older Americans through the Intergenerational Service Corps. The Intergenerational Service Corps will also create opportunities for mentorship, allowing participants to forge meaningful relationships across communities and across generations. Over time, these programs will strengthen communal bonds and build more livable, healthy, and resilient communities. Invest in social determinants of health for people with chronic physical and mental conditions. We recognize that simply closing the treatment gap for mental health while a worthwhile goal will never solve all of the challenges people face. Investing in vital community assets such as housing, transportation, and schools is foundational to positive mental health and well-being. This includes expanding Medicaid services to support key health-related social needs such as housing, employment, and non-medical transportation, and of course, we must fight poverty itself, a key focus of the Douglas Plan and empowering workers' agendas. Address stigma surrounding mental illness and addiction by changing how we talk about it. The culture that existed around mental health and addiction is one that has discouraged people from talking about their problems. Language we use to describe people who have mental illness or a substance use disorder, such as crazy or addict, is often not supportive and can discourage people from opening up about their own mental illness and or addiction and seeking care. Further, we frequently talk about mental illness and addiction as personal, moral failings indicative of a character flaw that someone could simply correct if they tried harder. This is untrue. This stigmatizing way of talking about mental illness and addiction has profoundly shaped how we treat these conditions. To transform the narrative around mental illness and addiction and begin to undo the damage caused, we will assess and address structural stigma within existing policy at the federal level. We will require all federal agencies to assess and address structural stigma to ensure that individuals with mental illness and or substance use disorder are not discriminated against through policy. We will also make sure that language across all federal agencies and programs is consistently inclusive and supportive of those with mental health issues and addiction. Use the presidential platform to change the narrative around mental health and addiction. We will work to change the narrative around mental health in this country, including by normalizing the reality that everyone can struggle with their mental health and that it's okay to open up about it and seek help. By changing our language and our discourse around mental health, we can begin to minimize some of the major issues of stigma. Launch a grant program that provides local organizations with resources and training to end the stigma around mental illness and addiction. Through this grant program, we will help communities across the country tackle stigma in culturally, linguistically, and historically respectful ways. Promote student mental health, which has deteriorated at alarming rates by requiring every school across the country to teach mental health first aid courses, among other initiatives. Young people's mental health in our country has sharply deteriorated. 
Today, 70% of teenagers report feeling that anxiety and depression are major problems among their peers, and one in three young adults report feeling lonely, the highest of any age group. Most tragically, suicide rates are rising for this demographic. Suicide has doubled among middle school students, the first time in history that more die by suicide than from car crashes, and has increased by over 50% among high school students. We must also take better care of our teachers' mental health, as surveys often show high stress levels and poor mental health. We believe that through financial support and training, we can prepare our schools to better identify mental illness and addiction. To achieve this, we will require every school across the country to teach mental health first aid courses. The Mental Health First Aid Program is a course that teaches people to identify and respond to mental illness and addiction in themselves and in others. Evidence indicates the course has helped to increase knowledge of signs and symptoms of mental illness and addiction, improve mental wellness, and reduce stigma. We will also help schools implement other prevention strategies, such as programs to help improve social and emotional learning and well-being. Train teachers and school staff to know how to help students when they need it. Teachers are often the front line of identifying mental health needs in students. Research shows that providing training programs of mental health increases teachers' knowledge, changes their attitude, and gives them more confidence in addressing mental health with their students and colleagues. Programs such as the National Alliance of Mental Illnesses Ending the Silence are trainings that require less hours than mental health first aid and can be used as a complement to mental health first aid to increase awareness around mental health and addiction needs. Expand the mental health workforce in schools. Bringing mental health services into schools is an effective and efficient way to address children's mental health needs. Whether it be integrating mental health clinicians into existing school-based health clinics or simply embedding a mental health clinician into a school, having on-site availability opens numerous doors for early identification and treatment. To support these programs, we would support legislation like the Mental Health in School Act to enhance the provision of mental health in schools. Address disparities in mental health and addiction through both national and community-based efforts. Mental health and substance use disorder are in part determined by social forces that embed structural inequalities by race, gender, class, sexual orientation, and immigration status, among other factors. Systematically marginalized persons have been denied access to an environment that enables quality health outcomes, regardless of genetics, lifestyle, or even access to health care. To address this, we propose to launch a national health equity strategy. Health equity must become part of the mission of every federal agency, and health equity lens must be applied to all federal policies, programs, and proposed legislation. Because health equity is not driven by health agencies alone, leadership for health equity must originate from the White House as a part of a national health equity strategy. This strategy will designate and fund health equity zones to address communities' most pressing health disparities, especially in communities with histories of redlining and economic and social marginalization. Train the mental health and addiction workforce to combat bias when treating patients. Transform the health workforce, health systems, and institutions that train future clinicians to ensure they are prepared to engage with communities in culturally, linguistically, and historically appropriate ways. Strengthen enforcement to address health inequity. Revitalize the Office of Civil Rights across all federal agencies to assure that frameworks are in place to address health inequities, promote equal access, and prohibit discrimination. 
decriminalize mental illness and addiction through diversion, treatment, and reentry programs, decreasing the number of people incarcerated due to mental illness or substance use by 75% in Pete's first term. Decades of failed mental health and addiction policy, coupled with mass incarceration that criminalized mental illness and drug use, have left us with a mental health and addiction care system so broken that today there are more people with serious mental illness in prison than in treatment facilities. To decriminalize mental illness and addiction, we will, on the federal level, eliminate incarceration for drug possession, reduce sentences for other drug offenses, and apply these reductions retroactively and expunge past convictions. Research shows that incarceration for drug offenses has no effect on drug misuse, drug arrests, or overdose deaths. In fact, some studies show that incarceration actually increases the rate of overdose deaths. We cannot incarcerate ourselves out of this public health problem. Invest in the expansion of diversionary programs for people with mental health or substance use histories to be funneled out of the criminal system prior to a conviction. These programs should not be alternatives to incarceration, but rather ways to intervene and assist people who need help before they are faced with the criminal legal system. Invest in expanding the evidence-based national curricula training programs for drug courts, mental health courts, and other alternatives to our incarceration for justice-involved persons. Mental health and drug courts can offer judges and prosecutors safe alternatives to conviction and incarceration that prioritizes long-term community-based treatment for mental health and addiction issues rather than reflexive punishment. We will invest at the federal level in expansion and evaluation of mental health and drug courts and similarly provide technical assistance and federal support to state and local municipalities seeking to implement or expand their alternative court models for mental health and addiction, holding them accountable for standards in alignment with the evidence. Train first responders to identify and deal with mental health crises. First responders are increasingly responsible for responding to individuals with mental health and addiction needs in crisis. We will integrate mental health clinicians into the first responder workforce and invest in first responder mental health and addiction training to equip them to address the mental health crisis in real time through de-escalation, therapeutic and care approaches as alternatives to arrest, and hospitalization for people who just need mental health care. Eliminate Medicaid's inmate exception. An estimated two-thirds of incarcerated people suffer from some form of substance use disorder, and after release, formerly incarcerated people overdose at rates up to 130 times the general population. Between 45 and 75 percent of incarcerated people at all levels, federal, state, local, have some form of mental illness. Transitions of care from corrections to community health settings are challenging, often resulting in delays in care and in receiving necessary prescriptions. Quality of care can also be poor, as correctional settings are not required to provide substance use disorder or mental health treatments. To address this, we will eliminate the Medicaid rule that denies people Medicaid coverage upon imprisonment. Combat the culture of social isolation and loneliness, which can damage mental and physical health by helping people form fulfilling connections to others and their community. Half of Americans report feeling lonely either sometimes or always. One in four report that no one really knows them. This epidemic is particularly affecting young adults, the loneliest age group. It is also affecting older Americans, one in three of whom report being lonely and their caregivers. 
As a person's isolation and or loneliness increases, it can profoundly affect their mental and physical health and lead to premature death. Some studies indicate that loneliness can be as damaging to someone's health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. We believe that everyone should have fulfilling connections to others and their communities if desired. To address this epidemic of social isolation and loneliness, we will launch a national campaign to end social isolation and loneliness. Through a national campaign, we will support organizations addressing these issues and raise awareness about loneliness and its impact on individuals and communities while targeting those most at risk of social isolation to ensure that they are reached and supported by culturally resonant resources. We will work with technology companies and researchers to understand how technology impacts meaningful connections and support local efforts that encourage community bonds and neighborhood action. Help strengthen social and communal bonds between older and younger Americans through Pete's National Service Plan. Pete's National Service Plan includes an intergenerational core with a focus on caregiving, mentorship, and other intergenerational service opportunities. Through this program, younger adults will help older adults continue to live independently by helping them cook a meal at home or driving them to the doctor or grocery store while benefiting from the older adults' mentorship. Help older adults who choose to age at home continue to live fulfilling lives through the CAPABLE program. The CAPABLE program teams up with a nurse practitioner, a therapist, and a handyman to send them to older adults' homes where they help older adults stay healthy and achieve personal wellness goals. A program evaluation showed an average of $10,000 in Medicare savings per patient, as well as reduced depression and disability for participants. Raise awareness of the pervasiveness of trauma and how fundamentally it affects health and expand trauma-informed care. Nearly 90% of people living in the United States have experienced at least one traumatic event in their lifetime, and a majority have experienced multiple traumatic events. Traumatic events include exposure to combat, physical and psychological abuse, sexual assault, and adverse childhood experiences. The experience of trauma has lifelong repercussions and has been associated with chronic mental and physical health conditions such as substance use, depression, and cardiovascular disease. Trauma also has collective and intergenerational effects such as the cultural and historical trauma experienced by Native Americans due to injustice and oppression and Black people due to slavery, Jim Crow, and decades of institutional and overt racism. Currently, we are seeing the multi-generational impacts of trauma among children who have been inhumanely separated from their parents at the border and immigrant and refugee families who have been targeted by ICE. One recent study found adverse health outcomes among Latinx people associated with the outcome of the 2016 election. Care informed by trauma acknowledges that what a person has been through profoundly impacts their life and helps create a safe, supportive, and respectful care environment. Trauma-informed care must be utilized in all settings, not just clinical care. To expand trauma-informed care, we will direct the U.S. Surgeon General to study trauma and its effects and ensure that federal programs across agencies work to build resilience and address trauma and its impact. While there is increased recognition within the healthcare delivery system of the health impact of trauma, providing all agencies with the policies and tools needed to address trauma is central to a systemic approach. We will also fund research on best practices for trauma-informed care. Ensure that Medicare beneficiaries receive trauma-informed care and incentivize state Medicaid programs to pay for trauma-informed care and services.
This includes supporting physical and mental health services, as well as social support that can address trauma and prevent its effect across generations. One promising approach is the Integrated Care for Kids model, which takes a multi-generational approach to addressing the opioid crisis. Expand funding for local efforts to train clinicians to provide trauma-informed care. This could include funding for health equity zones to help create trauma-informed communities and public institutions. Increase access to mental health resources for caregivers. Direct care workers are at risk of negative mental health outcomes. Studies indicate a high level of workplace violence targeted at home care workers, which can result in depression, anxiety, and fear. Caregivers may also experience secondary trauma and can experience grief as well as economic insecurity around the loss of a loved one or client. The opioid crisis was fueled in part by the willingness of the entire pharmaceutical supply chain system to ignore the rampant overprescribing of opioids in certain communities. There is a shared burden in particular among the pharmaceutical companies, pharmacy benefit managers, and pharmacies, many of which are part of large chains, who profited from overprescribing. But the federal government also has some responsibility, including the Department of Justice's Drug Enforcement Administration, the DEA, which had information showing that there was overprescribing. Work with state attorneys general to support state-level lawsuits. More states and counties are bringing forward litigation against pharmaceutical companies to not only hold them accountable for the crisis, but also cover the cost of the opioid epidemic. Revamp the DEA's role in monitoring prescription of controlled pharmaceuticals. The DEA must take a public health and law enforcement approach to the use of their data systems so that health and legal authorities are alerted to any new dangers. that is the end of this episode you can listen at anchor.fm slash me pack spotify google Podcasts, radio public and beaker thanks for tuning in in the next episode i will cover pete's plans for securing a healthy future for rural america if you have any feedback or suggestions please email me at mepack.suggest at gmail.com and thanks for listening